Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. I'm excited today. I too am excited for summer. Like, I think we skipped April, May, and June, and it feels like we went straight from March to July yesterday. Uh, hot and humid and uh, just the last few days. So I've been cutting down more trees. Um, I'm up to 25 trees I've cut down the last couple months. So that's fun. But uh, while we were cutting trees yesterday, we just saw the kids playing in the pool. And it was just like, man, this is awesome. And I'm excited for some church events going on. It's my favorite time of year. I love being outside and uh, like the pool party that we do and other stuff. But uh, we're already prepping church on the lawn. I called a food truck for some barbecue. So uh, we're going to try to make that, that the church will provide the meat through a food truck barbecue. Uh, I forget what it's called, but it's pretty cool. Uh, I met him at another church that I spoke at in Columbus, and the ribs, they were the best ribs I've ever had in my life. I was like, you guys cater out, right? You like do that? He's like, oh yeah, we do festivals, all this. And they're members of that church. I was like, all right, we have this huge event in August. Are you available? So they are available. So we're making those connections. So we're hoping for some beef brisket and ribs. So... I'm a little hungry today, so I wasn't planning on introing with food, but I am. Uh, hey, we, we were in a series, and uh, man, we put it on hold for like two months, and I want to just wrap it up today, and uh, it's kind of fitting. We have baptisms and uh, baby dedications the next service. Uh, we usually do, do those at the 11 a.m., so if you want to stick around through worship is when we do baptisms, and just after that, baby dedications, or if you're here to support a family, um, you'll get worship twice today. So, but that's your choice. Um, but anyway, we're excited for that. But I want to just get back into If My People. It's a series we were doing. We shared that series. Um, I did the first two weeks. And I'm going to just recap because it's been about, gosh, seven, eight, six, eight weeks maybe since we were into that series. Scott Thompson came. We had Easter, Mother's Day, all these different things um, that really didn't allow us to, to really get back in that series. So we're going to finish it today. Um, and then next week... I've been going through a process, and now once you kind of come out of, um, I don't know if I would call mine tragedy, at least some trauma and some different things, um, you know, found myself in some depression the last couple months and found myself kind of struggling and just being really vulnerable with you right now. And so now that I'm coming out on the healthier side of that and going through a process, you get language for things or you hear things like, oh, that's what that was. That's what happened. And I just feel like I've been in a process dying to self. And I'm excited to talk about that next week because we all want to rejoice and, and participate in the resurrection, right? But what about his suffering? And some things come with a price. And uh, I don't believe in earning. I don't believe in striving for God's love, for blessing. I don't believe in that. I don't give an offering to get something back. I don't, I don't pray or fast or these things. They draw me closer to the Lord, but I don't do it to get something in return. But there is something about paying and sowing and reaping. And it's that sowing and reaping, and I feel like the last nine months or so has just been a total stripping away of, of me. And uh, I've been learning some things about myself that I've been, I was arrogant and self-absorbed and self-reliant and dependent on me, resting on a gift and these things that um, I just kind of came to realize over the last few months and just a stripping away. 
So when you die, in order to be resurrected, something has to die. We're, we're going to be baptizing folks at the 11 a.m. They're going down one person, coming up anew. They're becoming new creatures in Christ. They're publicly displaying their affection for the Lord. It's, it's the wedding ceremony for what's already happened in the heart. So, but in order to come out a new creature, something, someone had to die. And uh, Galatians 2.20 is where we're really going to go next week. And I'm excited to push into this and and process this with you and process what it is to die to self and just say, all right, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I'm trusting you. Even when things look bad, I'm having faith in you. So um, uh, that's, that's where we're going next week. So, but let me, let's just recap. Let's start in 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's not going to be a crazy long message today, maybe only two hours today. Um, not a big deal. Okay, 11 a.m. will just join us. Now, 2 Chronicles 7, I'm going to read the whole caption, 11 through 16, catch you up to speed, and then finish it. And we're calling this one the finale, all right? It's the if my people finale. So... <clears throat> It says this, verse 11, Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord in the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. And, and, and basically, um, let, me, let me, as we read through this, we'll process. I mean, we spent now maybe eight weeks just on this set of scriptures and mostly focusing on verse 14, dissecting that. And, and this was a new paradigm for Old Testament thinking, Old Testament mentality. When we get to verse 14, I'll expand on that just a little bit. But here's Solomon building the house of the Lord, the tabernacle. But it says once he finished the house of the Lord and his own house, he successfully accomplished um, then, then the Lord blessed it. See, there's something about getting our house in order and the Lord's house. Solomon knew this. He, he asked for wisdom. He got wisdom. So, so here's the deal. The Lord blesses it. And if you think back to the Ark of the Covenant when it was traveling and they needed a place to keep it after some things went you know, awry, um, basically Obed-Edom hosted the Ark of the Covenant, which really represents his presence, for three months. And it said just because he hosted it and he, 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 rep, he, he, he protected this thing, he hosted the presence for three months, the Bible says his entire household was blessed. What does it look like to host his presence, to put Jesus first, to plant Jesus in the center of our home? What does that look like for the next generation, for our family, for our entire household? The Bible references a couple different times, entire household, whole house salvation, what does that look like if I'm hosting his presence, if I'm putting Jesus in the center of things? What's that look like for me, my family, generations to come, a hundred-year legacy? What's that look like? So then we move on to verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. If my people, so it says this, verse 14, if my people who are called by my name, humble themselves. So we, we started off with if my people, identity. Everything in this set of scriptures, everything in this context starts with just the foundation of if my people. Our identity is in him. Our identity is in who we are, not what we do. Our identity is in sons and daughters. Our identity is, is not in our accomplishments, our titles, our bank accounts, our, the street we live on. That's not our identity. My identity comes from being a son of God, a child of God. I'm an heir to the throne, a co-heir with Jesus. I'm bought with the price, and I was adopted with the spirit of adoption to be his very own. All right, so my identity, that's the foundation of, of, of really everything, is love. 
And in love, he paid a price so that I could be with the Father forever. And this is an amazing thing. So it starts with our identity. Then it goes into this, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So then we, we went into humility, what it is to be humble. So that's the first instruction from the foundation of identity. Now we come into humility as the first instruction. And then, uh, so I spoke on that. And then Nicole spoke on pray and seek my face. And, and that translation actually means to crave his face, to spend time with the Lord, to pray, not just in petition and asking for things, but intercession, communion, those things that were actually the, that God is our friend. He's our father and he's a good father. So, so then uh, Josh wrapped it up in that section with uh, turn from their wicked ways. And I love my takeaway from Josh it was, what would Jesus do in that situation? So true repentance is, is asking for forgiveness, but it's also turning away from and not doing what you were doing before. True repentance is actually a turning away from. It's asking and saying sorry, but it's turning away from. And that's when we're transformed is actually when we turn away from it. So Josh said this thing. He said, okay, Jesus was hurt. Jesus was mocked. Jesus was abandoned. Jesus, you know, all these things. He said, but what did he do about it? So when we're going through these struggles, when we're going through these life's issues, and sometimes, it, you know, stuff just happens. Like sometimes it, we can't explain some of this. I love that, that Tyler did not blame God on the tornado. Even insurance companies now have adopted language, act of God. <laughs> so we blame God for everything bad, right? It's like, no, that wasn't from God. God is not a destructive, punishing God. He's a loving, caring, kind father. So we, we've come through some of our culture to anything that goes wrong, we're going to blame God. Now, there's some things I, I can't answer. Why do you allow it to happen? Well, I don't know, but I know he's going to use it for good. Genesis uh, uh, 50 it says that what the enemy means for destruction, God will use for good. Romans 8, you know, it talks about, you know, all things work to the good to those who love God and are called according to what? His purpose. So I can't explain all these bad things. So when they happen, Josh was challenging us to say, okay, when things happen, when this happens to you, how did Jesus handle it? It's kind of like the old bracelets, like what would Jesus do, WWJD? I actually saw one of those last week. I was like, oh, cool, they're still wearing those. But it's like how would Jesus handle that situation? So now we're, we're getting into the finale here. And it says, then, then this. So if and then, if you're computer programmers, you love this kind of stuff. Computer programming, if statements and then statements. If I put this in, then I get this result. So here's the thing. This is, this is not a performance or works. This is not if I do these things, God will love me. No, he already loves you, okay? Let's just establish that right now that this is not a performance, striving, earning kind of mentality. It's a system to where as my heart is, 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 is focused to his, his heart is already on mine. The Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. He already loves you. Now, there is sin that will stand in the way before we ask Jesus in our heart. There is a gap there from us not yet accepting and choosing him. All right? And it does say that in the word, that sin separates us from God. But he has never separated himself from us. He's always on attention on us. Zephaniah 3.17 says he rejoices and delights over us. And if you look at everything else he calls us, and that was in that, that first message, like what all he calls us, if it, my people, you know, my people who are called by my name, like we take on the name of Christ. This is a wedding. This is a, this is a marriage. This is, this is a union. 
that I and him and he and me, if we're one, just like Jesus and the Father in his prayer in John. So, so at any rate, here, here we are in this, this place of not earning but our, our love. The moment we take one step towards him, he's already running and dashing towards us to embrace us. You see that through the prodigal son story and the prodigal, the prodigal father story. It's a story about a father. It's a story about a loving father more than it is a son that left with his inheritance too early or a jealous brother in the house. It's about a loving father. So we get to this place here. Then I will hear from heaven, and it says, we'll forgive their sin and heal their land. And here's, here's what I want to point out to you. I want to point out that oftentimes when there's things mentioned in, in couplets of three, it's obviously sometimes representing the Trinity or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, so I, I was just praying through the week and praying like, okay, where do I go today? I, I was kind of between just doing dying to self or doing this, and I'm like, man, I really need to end this thing. We said we were going to end it. We need to end it. So, but he, here's where I was, and the Lord was just like, man, it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So hear from heaven. Who, who is in heaven? Who's always been in heaven? The Father. So the Father's representing heaven. So then it's also couplets of three oftentimes represents body, soul, and spirit. So it's the Father. He says, I will hear from heaven. So what's heaven look like? So, so if we align ourselves with this. So this is all a relational component. Now, now let me just present something to you that I said the first week. This was a new paradigm for the Israelites in that time. Jesus hadn't yet come to the earth. But he's saying directly, now this is a time burnt offerings were, were common, all right? They had to, they had to go, to, you know, to the temple, offer a burnt offering or, or, or take their things to the high priest. And on the day of atonement, he could go to the holiest of holies on their behalf and offer up the sacrifice and his penance and these things. So now here is what's being said in, in 2 Chronicles is, if my people who are called by my name will do these things, then I'm going to uh, forgive their sins, hear from heaven, and heal their land. So this was now an invitation to direct relationship and communion with Jesus, with the Father, with, with who, the God, who God is. And that, that to me struck me so, so amazing. I was like, wow, this was written to the Israelites shifting things to a different perspective to an all-access pass to God, directly themselves. And then it became a, a, a finale, a final event, when Jesus was on the cross. So see, here was another thing representing the tabernacle. It says when, he, when, he, when it was finished, a veil was torn from heaven to earth, and a veil is what was separating the holiest holies from the tabernacle, if, if you know this history of the structure. So when the veil was torn from heaven to earth, here's a couple things. It was removing the barrier that was set by the people needed of that time for an all-access pass to Jesus. Now, even though it's inviting here in 2 Chronicles, it was finalized when Jesus paid the ultimate price and that veil was torn. And I find it interesting that it mentions that it was torn from heaven to earth. Let's visit the, the, the Lord's Prayer here. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then what's it say? Okay, so your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is where? Heaven. So the veil was torn from heaven to earth, 
signifying, and then we go to the spirit of adoption in several areas in the Bible, two of them being Galatians 4 and Romans 8, where Paul's telling us about the spirit of adoption, that we are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We're no longer what? Slaves or orphans. We no longer think we have to earn our way to the Father's heart, and we also belong. An orphan's thinking is that I don't belong, I'm not good enough. A slave's mentality is I have to earn it. So that's diminished, and it's totally canceled out, saying, no, you are children of God. That's what you are. 1 John 3, 1 even says that. So it's a little teachy today, isn't it? Trying to wrap this all up, connect it all in. So here's the deal. The heaven-to-earth concept is it says we're an heir to the throne. I speak about this often. If if you've been in here significant portions of time, you've heard this language here. If you haven't, this is good stuff. So... Here's the deal. So heaven to earth, let your will be done on earth that is is in heaven, and me being heir to the throne of heaven, then now, as a son, I get access to all what heaven has to offer. I get a legal right as a son, adopted by the spirit of adoption, all what heaven has. So then I love to think about, and it ties this in, I'll hear from heaven. I'll hear from the Father, I'll hear from heaven, and now it's all yours. So I love to think about what heaven looks like. Sometimes when I daydream, anybody else do this? I love to picture heaven. I love to feel and see and and experience what can heaven look like. Like, I I picture all kinds of fun stuff in heaven. I don't know if it's really like Lamborghinis will really be in heaven, but I picture that. And I picture, like I've said before, burning out on those streets of gold and leaving like massive rubber burnouts on the streets of gold. I'm like, if there's streets, they must be meant to be driven on. So, so anyway, I picture these things. So other things that consist of heaven is there's no bankruptcy in heaven. There are no, there's not destruction of homes in heaven. There's, there's not illness in heaven. There's not depression in heaven. There's not these relational issues in heaven. So therefore, I get a right to. Now, it doesn't mean life is perfect here. It simply means that as I turn my heart to Jesus, it's not necessarily that he'll even change every situation, but he changes my heart and he gives me grace to navigate through it. He makes me stronger. He makes resources available. He gives me something. And it says in James 1-2, count it all joy, the trials you go through. Ah, but sometimes that sucks. Counting it joy when a tree falls in your house. Yeah, that's not fun. It's not happy. But here's the thing. It builds something. Something is arising from a community, from a city, from, from friends. When, when, when tragedy happens, something happens to where now I get to experience something I wasn't experiencing before. Like the last nine months have been super hard for me. Honestly, probably the hardest nine months I've ever been through. When my mom died, there was pockets of it. You know, trying to navigate through leading the church through all of that and other, other d- dimensions in that. But, but when, when you're going through something and it's like, but here's the thing. I wouldn't be getting to where I'm getting to in humility today if things hadn't been taken away. I wouldn't be getting to, to really digging down to the things that really matter. Like when death or tragedy happens, things shift into a different perspective of what really matters. And sometimes you realize like family matters, relationships matters. And what you end up realizing is the things that will actually take to heaven are the things that actually matter. <laughs> I won't take a, reality is, I won't take a car to heaven. 
Okay, I'm not going to take um, a pool to have like these things that we're enjoying now. I'm not going to take that. That's not lasting forever. The Bible talks about it's 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 what's not going to last forever. We're not going to take with us. So here's the deal: when these things happen. All of a sudden, the things that do matter in heaven is relationship. The things that do matter in heaven are joy, peace. These, these, these things that are actually fruits and gifts of the Spirit, they matter. That We get stripped down to sometimes these, these barren places, these, these empty places, these wilderness experiences. And all of a sudden, our trust is increased in the Father. Our faith is increased. Our dependency on Him is improved. Why? Because I can't do this on my own. Let me move on here. The second thing is forgive their sins. Representing Jesus, Jesus is the one that forgives sins. It's by what he did on the cross, not by what we're doing here. We just get to receive the price that he paid. So it's from the forgiveness of their sins, representing the son. So the father, son. And then that also represents the way I interpret it, or at least like my, my point of this message is soul. Mind, body, mind, body, will, emotion, those things. Now I get freedom I get freedom when I'm free after being bound in sin and death. Now I'm alive. I'm a free man now. Now sometimes, occasionally, I have to remind myself that I died. <laughs> like, that's what I'm learning. Like, this is a process. It's not measuring perfection. It's measuring progress. And I'm coming closer to the Lord than I've ever been because of a dependency and a need for him that I forgot I needed. <sighs> Forgiveness of their sins. So... It's the soul. And then the last thing, restore their land. The Bible says at the beginning, somewhere in Genesis, it's talking about that from the beginning of time, the Holy Spirit hovered across the earth. It hovered. It was always in the land. We, we think, because yeah, see here from the beginning, it says, let us make man in our image. That was from the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world you were created. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit threw a party in heaven and created you and named you before you were ever in your mother's womb, before you ever thought on earth, you were already a thought in heaven. You were already created, and you were created in his image. So here, it says, restore their land. That's Holy Spirit. And Spirit, so, so we have body, soul, and spirit. We have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the point is this, that God doesn't just want to stop at just one component of our health, of our well-being, of our freedom, of, of his goodness. It's all-encompassing. God loves us so much, he cares about everything. So these three things, no matter how you look at it, if you buy into this silly stuff I'm selling today or not, like, no matter how you look at it, it was all-encompassing that he's going to take care of every need you have. He's going to take care of everything that, 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 you, that you need. Let's go to another scripture here. It says um, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now listen, this is the Lord promising, saying, my grace is sufficient. And, and let me expand on that. It actually means his grace is sufficient for all needs, for everything we need. And that, that's another cool thing in heaven. Our, our thirsts are already quenched before we're ever thirsty. Needs are already met before we ever have a need because it's perfect. It's already there. The Lord is so good. Like, we taste and see that he's good, and it leaves us wanting for more. So no matter what we're going through, 
No matter what our process is, no matter if, like, we haven't yet even given our heart to Jesus, to, to baby Christian, to people getting baptized today, to, to seasoned veteran Christians. Like, the cool thing about the Lord is we continue to taste and see that he's good, and it keeps us going deeper and wanting more and more and more and more. It keeps me wanting to get in my word. We have this incredible story. Brad, he came here um, just beginning of the year. And he's like, something just being here inspired me to get in my word, and I hadn't really been that hungry for a while. He said, just being here. He read in just the first few months of the the year here, read the entire New Testament start to finish. There's something once you taste and see of his goodness, you want more. It's, It's like the buffet that never ends, and you just taste something. Like, here's the thing. You don't have to be hungry to eat of Jesus. It just has to be appealing enough. And we've been to so many, like, religion has done so many things to make it, like, bad that sometimes people don't have that good taste in their mouth that they crave and want and even need more because they don't realize it because they had some, some prophet on the TV trying to sell a prayer cloth and abuse and manipulate what the prophetic was supposed to be. Like, so then we're like, oh, that's weird. No, somebody made it weird, but the word and Jesus himself does not make it weird. Like the gifts of the Spirit and the things Adam was talking about a few weeks ago and worship and, and, and the gifts and the manifestations, like that's not weird. We've just seen weird displays of it because it may not have been pure. Let me, let me just say this, like I've learned this. <laughs> I've learned to value people right where they are and let God transform them to where he's calling them to be. It, so here's what, that, here's what it does I don't stumble over the people for who they're not being. I get to celebrate who they are and what God's called them to be because he's more concerned about destinies than he is is histories. So when I meet somebody who's just (laughs) what we call in our house, has love deficits, we we process this with our girls. If they get bullied or if they get picked on or if they get called a name or if they witness something else, we've taught them to intervene, first of all, through prayer, second, through healthy confrontation, and third, understanding where maybe this person's coming from with a love deficit. What's their home life like? Are, there, are their parents split and divorced and they're having trouble at home and now this is just manifesting? You know, the Bible talks about the whole earth is moaning and groaning for the children, for the sons and daughters to manifest, meaning... The earth is crying out for believers to actually portray a really good father and actually display who he really is with love and power and goodness and conviction and these things. Like, I don't want to just sugarcoat everything. So the earth is moaning and crying out, and it may come out as bullying. It may come out, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, being flipped off in your car when you did nothing wrong. Like, these are the things that happen when the earth is moaning and growing. It looks ugly. It looks scary. It looks divided. It looks like political division. It looks like these things. It looks like these, these famines that are happening even in the spiritual realm because the earth is moaning and groaning, and what they don't realize, some of them, is that they actually need a savior and a good father. Let, let me move on here. I want to talk about the seeking. Um, it, it's, it's everything. So... I love Jeremiah 33.3. So in this process and in this, this finale here is like as we just seek and crave his face, as we turn from our wicked ways, as we humble ourselves and we do these things, something happens inside us to where we actually want more of him. It actually puts a desire in us to, to, to digest and dissect and just eat that word 
It puts something in us when, I, when, I'm, when I'm drawn into relationship with the Father. I want to spend more time with him, which then leads my heart to my mind and my actions to actually want to be better. If I just start with the actions, which I'm not always opposed to that, by the way. Let, let me give a reference. I don't always feel like working out. Like this week, I think my whole body was just sore from cutting trees and come to Friday's work, and I was like, oh, man, kids' school was canceled. I was like, all right, I get to sleep in another hour. I'm going to go to 7.30, not to 6. All right. And then, like, 7.15 came. I was like, oh, oh, maybe I'll sleep. I don't really feel it today. I'm sore. Like, I kind of, like, kicked my butt on Wednesday morning, and I was cutting trees. I'm like, ah. But I went. And after I got off that rower and after I'm walking out to work, I was like, ooh, I feel so much better. Listen, we, we don't always feel it. All right, so I'm not opposed to sometimes doing the action and then letting my heart catch up. But that can't go on forever because you're going to get exhausted, bored, and worn out. So here's the thing. As we turn our heart to the Father, and we already know his is turned to, or towards us, then all of a sudden our motivation changes because it's rooted and grounded in love. Everybody say that. Rooted and grounded in love. When it's rooted and grounded in love, then my actions actually follow my heart. And it's not just the outside of the cup being polished. It's the inside that leads to an outside transformation. All right, let me move on here. So about seeking, all right? He says, Jeremiah 33, 3 says, this says, call to me, I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. This to me is like a parallel. It's different verbiage to 2 Chronicles 7, 14. And it simply says this, call to me, I will answer, and I will show you great and mighty, or some say marvelous things that you don't yet know. All right, Matthew 6, says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Isn't that an amazing thought? You talk about an if-then statement, a recipe for success. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. What does that look like? Like, as we're looking like heaven, like what does heaven, like I'll hear from heaven, what does that look like? Wow, everything will be added unto me. Whoa, what's heaven? What's everything? What's that look like? The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. What's that? Like Nicole and I, we've realized on a couple different seasons through ministry the last six, seven, 12 years, that occasionally we lose our fun in it. Like occasionally it just gets draining, it gets hard, and, and we lose our fun. And all of a sudden we'll kind of notice that, and a little alarm will go off or, or this, and we're like, oh, wait, we need to get our fun back. That's seeking and saving that which was lost. When I lose my peace, I, I need to get it back. Even David says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Okay, let, let's move on here. Psalms 84, 11 says this. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who seek him and walk uprightly. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says this. And I'm going I'm to finish here and then talk about the land. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. I believe Brianna was referencing this several weeks ago in a transition. And it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Isn't that fun? Let me just, let me, let me kind of paraphrase or, or explain what my version of seeking is. Okay, I, I love this, and this illustration. I worked on an apple farm for um, about three years. Uh, I started young, fifth grade. I was out there at Broomball Apple Farm off of Route 36, right outside of Bradford, Ohio. All right, it's where I learned to drive a truck, ice skate, 
drive dirt bikes, four-wheelers, and I literally became a man, okay, <laughs> on a farm. So I'd get out of school. The bus would drop me off at the farm. We'd work for a dollar an hour. That's right, folks. Young people, dollar an hour. Not nine-something an hour, one dollar per hour. But it came with an apple pie that, that the owner's wife would make every day after school. We'd have a warm piece of apple pie. Then we'd get into our day. So, and I'd work a few hours till dark. And this started in fifth grade for three years. All that to say this, part of our job was, was helping pick the apples in the fall. And, and there was crews that came in. And um, my friend and I's job was to monitor the pickers and make sure they were staying busy. A sixth grader was a foreman. It's true. So at any rate, what I learned was different apples were used for different things, okay? And there was different ways to get apples. So there was this, this fruit that no one wanted. That's the fruit that falls to the ground, okay? You just pick it up, all right? It's nasty. It's got bugs on it, and it's just gross. It's rotten. It's got sticks in it, and you just shove that stuff in these big hoppers in the back of our truck, and guess where we took that? We took that right into the apple cider room. Yep, and we, we crushed it and pushed it down, and we made apple cider from that. That's right, I couldn't drink apple cider until I was about 25 years old. <laughs> okay, so that's the fruit nobody wants. And then the opposite of that, we had to get cherry pickers and ladders and, and all these, this equipment up to get the fruit that was high on the tree. That was hard work. And, and, and the apple pickers got paid by the bushel that they picked for the day, okay? And, and so simply, uh, that was a lot harder. It took a lot more time, and you weren't getting the fruit as much as if you were just able to come, pick, push right into your satchel. So seeking kind of looks like this. I don't want the nasty leftovers. That's too easy. That's and it's gross. Like, I don't want somebody's leftovers. I don't want to live off of yesterday's encounter. I don't want to live off the manna, yesterday's bread that spoiled. I, I want something fresh every day. I, I don't want to go through the work, and I don't have to earn it. I don't have to go through all this work to get just lack of fruit. Like, it's abundance. So I get to walk up to that tree, and my seeking looks like this. That's my seeking. He's pouring it out. It's right there. It's for easy picking. So if I seek, I'll find it. Now, let me, let me just wrap up with this. Heal the land. Now, that is so deep. That is so deep, and I want you to lean into that. What does it look like for God to heal the land? Heal the land means it's covering promises and inheritances and even generational curses and turning them into blessings. See, there's something about the land. There's something that the earth is moaning and growing. Even the rocks will cry out. There's something that's constantly referenced in the land or the earth, as, as God mentions, even Abraham, he wanted to take him through this process, and he brings him up to this place. He's like, here, here's the land I will give you. But he doesn't show him where. doesn't show him how. He doesn't give him the plan. That's the seeking. I get to go, and he's going to show me great and mighty things, even things I may not know. That's the thing about healing the land is I get to now walk in an inheritance and a promise is fulfilled of a healed land. There's a, there's a series that you should watch by George Otis Jr., and... Um, Oh, man, I just drew a blank what it's called. Uh, restoration, restoration series. Is that what it's called? What is it? Transformation. Yeah, so YouTube it, all right? It's George Otis Jr., 
and um, it's transformation films, all right? And he's going through the power of prayer, the power of seeking, the power of unity of the bride, and then all of a sudden, no joke, and, and there's this one that uh, Steve sent me called Appalachian Dawn, is that correct? And it's the same filmmaker, goes to Kentucky, worst dropout rate in, in, in the nation, worst unemployment rate in the nation, high crime, high drugs, all this stuff. Same principle. The churches and the community rally together. They begin to pray. They begin to seek the Lord. They begin to turn from their wicked ways. They begin to fulfill 2 Chronicles 7, 14 as a body, as a group of churches. Wow, isn't that beautiful? That we actually celebrate one another, even if we're in a different denomination, even if we're in a different structure or building, that we actually celebrate victory filled up and having multiple services and adding them. Like, Andy and I are friends. Like, isn't it cool when we know, like, it's a body, it's a kingdom, it's not my kingdom, it's not the upper room kingdom, it's the kingdom to see people come to Christ. So what happens in that unity, in that prayer movement, in that, that seeking God, all of a sudden, the land begins to get healed. It, we, they go to Columbia, and, and there was like 47 bars in the community. Every single bar, incidentally, turned into a church. There were no more bars. They were all churches, all right? They were showing pictures of turnips and, and literal, like, vegetables. They were, like, massive. And it reminded me when they were looking at the promised land, the Israelites, and they're seeing guys, like, like carry grapes on their shoulders. Like, it, it, there's something about healing the land, and then peace came. Crime went down. Same thing in Kentucky. All of a sudden, all these things begin to transform. There was top elected officials and leaders in the community that actually got um, discovered that they were in this illegal ring of stuff and, and fueling some of this, this crime with the drugs. They get discovered, and then they get convicted, pushed out. New leadership rises up in the city. Elk and different things that hadn't been in the community for decades begin to return to the land. Elk. Like now you can elk hunt in this part of Kentucky because it's so lavished with, with the goods of the earth. Crops, things. And then here's the thing. All crime went down. They now, at the time of this film, now had the, one of the highest graduation rates in the nation, lowest crime rates in the nation. And guess what? They renamed the city Hope City because all of a sudden it went from destruction to hope. All that to say this. When God is so consumed with forgiving our sin, hearing from heaven, and healing our land, he cares about all of us, not just our needs, but also our wants. He's so good. Why don't you stand with me? I'd love to pray for you. Heal the land is so fun. Like, man, have, have you got any gardeners in here? Any farmers, gardeners? I'm a terrible gardener. Nicole and I, like, we are absolutely the worst gardeners on the face of the planet. Like, we just gave up last year. We just gave up. We're like, we work so hard to get it planted. We work so hard to till and get all that ready. And then all of a sudden, like a month later, like, it's just overtaken by weeds, and we've just lost all interest in it. We're like, let's just go buy our vegetables. They're cheap. Like, I'm the worst thing, but now I find myself, like, we were praying over our home and our land. We're like, Lord, whatever we plant, and we bought $1,500 worth of landscaping bushes. That's a huge investment for us. And we're like, Lord, let it all take. 
Let it, and we begin to pray for the land. We begin to pray for the soil. And, and, and I'll tell you what, the person that lived there before us was an, an absolute amazing gardener. So we're turning this dirt, and after digging out some rocks and bricks, we're like, and some roots, this ground is like just black and just like you could crush it. I'm like, oh, this is fun. So I had, like, I planted a magnolia tree that looked like it was going to die. I was like, oh, Lord, I just prayed for it. All right? Anybody else ever prayed for a plant or like a car or something like kind of ridiculous? I have, because I had a washer breakdown once. We couldn't afford to fix it. I'm like, Lord, you just heal this washer in the name of Jesus. I cast out every demon making this noise. <laughs> Cannot afford to fix this right now. I don't know what's causing this leak, but heal it. And that was five years ago, and we still have the same washer and did nothing to it. So thank you, Jesus. So anyway, I got I to gotta land this plane. So I pray for this magnolia tree, and we pray for our plants, and we're like, Lord, and we literally prayed the prayer that his promise is heal the land, heal the land and everything on it. Let us feel your peace here. Let us wake up with joy and thankfulness in our hearts. And I tell you, it's happening. We woke up yesterday, and Nicole, the words out of her mouth, referencing that window earlier, the words out of her mouth, man, it feels like we're waking up on vacation. This is what it's turning into, and that magnolia tree, it grew all new leaves in just the last two weeks, and it looks beautiful. I'm like, I'm expecting for it to like bloom in a week, and it's way out of blooming season. Like, I'm just excited for this, but that's what happens when we heal the land. And I'm saying this metaphorically for our lives, for our will, our emotion, our body, our soul, our spirit, that God wants to restore the land. He wants to forgive us, and he wants to hear from heaven and pour it all out to us. Let me pray that over you. Just put your hands on your heart. God, I thank you. I thank you that you definitely hear from heaven. Lord, you are heaven. You are love. That, God, you forgive our sins. Lord, as we confess our sins to you and as we just ask you into our heart, you forgive everything as far as the east is to the west. You forgive and you bury it on the ocean floor so we never have to remember it again or carry that shame ever again. You've removed the sin and the shame. And, Lord, I thank you for healing the land. I thank you for healing hearts, healing marriages, healing relationships, healing and restoring, even redeeming things that have been lost restoring things, saving things, that which has been lost. So God, we thank you. We just receive this, and Lord, let it birth a passion in us to seek you, to pursue you, and to just discover you and pick that easy-hanging fruit and store it in our hearts. Lord, give us a hunger to be closer to you, have communion with you, to be in your word, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name.